This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. His name is Todd Erzin. His name is Aaron McIntyre. Who knows? Maybe over the course of today's program, we will also learn your name. A couple of, la- couple of names you will learn on the show today. Uh, Megan Basham from The Daily Wire is going to join us about the ongoing debate over surrogacy. This thing is really heating up now. Uh, Theology Thursday is coming your way next hour, and we're going to look at the, the trap of idolatry. And it is the number one trap that God's people, according to the scriptures, can find themselves in. Therefore, it is the number one trap we must avoid. And we'll get into that for Theology Thursday. And then uh, my oldest daughter, Anastasia, will join us for three non-political questions. If you are looking for a Christian-owned Patriot coffee company that also happens to serve, according to Aaron and several of you in our audience, a pretty mean cup of coffee. Check out our friends over at First Cup Coffee Company. There's a flavor for every freedom-loving American. Uh, Shipped within days of being roasted. First Cup places the roast date on each bag. Go to firstcup.com. Use the code DACE to save an additional 10% off when you do. 10% off with the code DACE at firstcup.com. And if you subscribe, take an additional 10% off for the life of the subscription. Firstcup.com. Use the promo code DACE. And with that, let's get to it. Here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Haley's Supernova Part 2. GOP primary debate number four went down last night, hosted by News Nation and moderated primarily by Megan Kelly. Chris Christie, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis duked it out, with Vivek and DeSantis each landing their share of body blows against the former South Carolina governor. Here are a few examples that stood out. On the trans issue, DeSantis repeatedly pointed to Haley's record and comments on the issue. And this shows how hypocritical Ron can continues to be. When he was running for governor and they asked him about that, he said he didn't think bathroom bills were a good use of his time. You can go look that up. I signed a bathroom bill in Florida, so that's obviously not true. (laughs) So the idea that you would say that I I was against that. You didn't. You killed it. I signed it. I stood up for little girls. You didn't do it. And there was this going on. I was actually just in South Carolina. Some of the legislators told me at the time there were boys going into the girls. That's the whole reason why they did it. And so they say when she does that explanation that that doesn't hold water. And this is the upstate of South Carolina. I signed the bill. I protected the girls. She did not do do it. Vivek poked holes in Haley's supposed foreign policy acumen. It's one thing that Joe Biden and Nikki Haley have in common is that neither of them could even state for you three provinces in eastern Ukraine that they want to send our troops to actually fight for. Look at that. 
This is what I want people to understand. These people have, I mean, she has no idea what the hell the names of those provinces are, but she wants to send our sons and daughters and our troops and our military equipment to go fight it. So reject this myth that they've been selling you, that somebody had a cup of coffee stint at the UN and then makes eight million bucks after, has real foreign policy experience. It takes an outsider to see this through. Look at the blank expression. She doesn't know the names of the provinces that she wants to actually fight for. On China, DeSantis hit Haley's cozy relationship with CCP-controlled businesses is rich because when she was governor of South Carolina, she was the number one ranked governor of bringing the CCP into her state. She wrote a love letter to the Chinese ambassador saying how great a friend China is. You can look at it. We put it on our website, rondesantis.com. There's also a video of her as governor standing in front of a Chinese flag with a Chinese business saying that I now officially work for you. There is nothing that you can need that we won't make sure that we deliver. So she's been very weak on China. Now, here's the problem. The rhetoric is different, but the one one. Her donors, these Wall Street liberal donors, they make money in China. They are not going to let her be tough on China, and she will cave to the donors. She will not stand up for you. Perhaps the most important moment of the night, Vivek thrashed Nikki Haley for her engagement in identity politics. And Nikki Haley's campaign launch video sounded like a woke Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light ad talking about how she would kick in heels. At the first debate, she said that only a woman can get this job done. That's what she said. After the third debate, when I criticized Ronna McDaniel after five failed years of leadership of this party and criticized Nikki for her corrupt foreign dealings as a military contractor, she said that I have a woman problem. Nikki, I don't have a woman problem. You have a corruption problem. And I think that that's what people need to know. Nikki is corrupt. This is a woman who will send your kids to die so she can buy a bigger house. This is the problem. Using identity politics more effectively than Kamala Harris is a form of intellectual fraud. And it actually needs to end. There's our donor puppet masters wielding their puppet right up here tonight. This is how this game is played. The puppet masters put up their puppet, and I reject the use of identity politics in this party. It has been a cancer coming from the left, and I'm sick and tired of the double standards the people of this country are too. Having two X chromosomes does not immunize okay, you from criticism. You. Elsewhere, DeSantis curb stomped Chris Christie's wishy-washy stance on transing kids. Don't know that slippery slope, what rights are going to be taken away okay. next, and you what's going to be have, on As you. a parent, you do not have the right to abuse your kids. This is cutting off their this is mutilating these minors. These are irreversible procedures. Uh, and this is something that other countries in Europe, like Sweden, once they started doing it, they saw it did incalculable damage. They've shut it down. I signed legislation in Florida banning the mutilation of minors because it is wrong. We cannot allow this to happen in this country. Also of note, a question about the COVID jabs was finally asked by Megyn Kelly. The RNC-controlled Rumble live video stream of the debate crashed while that question was being asked. After the debate, Megyn Kelly asked Nikki Haley how she thought it went. It was fine. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> was fine. Oh, gosh, if you are her staff, if you're, if, you know, I've been in that situation. If you're on any candidate staff, when they're asked after on national TV in front of millions of people that you don't ever, how did it go? It was fine. No, don't do that. Don't. And I couldn't find the video. Don't say that. Don't. She was asked if she wanted to respond to Vivek's charge of identity politics. Yeah. She, he left her with nothing. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, the, the, the woman, the big strong woman, it was so bad for her last night.
that she needed the big strong man at some point, Chris Christie, to kind of in, in an act of pity, That's kind true. of come and try to rescue her for uh, uh, for for a tad. Aaron's montage is uh, brought to you by our friends over at uh, Jace Medical. The critical shortages of essential drugs in the U.S. risks causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. Remember that Jace originally came on board because they witnessed during COVID what we did. All of a sudden, uh, drugs that were known to, to, to be safe and effective for decades that had won awards like the Nobel Prize are now suddenly uh, called dangerous and taken off the shelves right when potentially we might need them the most. That's how they originally came on board. Now they're concerned about the broader problem of the shortage of drugs just in total. All right. And that's why you want to get this new customized Jace case uh, that you can do right now with dozens of add on medications. Choose the medications that fit you and your family's unique needs to make sure that you've got that backup and that peace of mind that goes along with that preparation. Jace continually looking to expand their medication offerings. And yes, you can get ivermectin in the Jace case if you choose to do that. All right, go to jacemedical.com, enter the code DACE at checkout for dis- for a discount on your order. Get a discount with the promo code DACE at checkout on your order. Promo code DACE at J-A-S-E, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. All right, let's, let's get to Aaron's montage about the debate last night. And in my opinion, there are two major um, lines of discussion opened up by what occurred last night. One of them we're going to save for the overtime. Uh, and And... Because both of these require, I think, some level of in-depth analysis from all of us here. So rather than try to fit them all in to this segment, we're going we're gonna to set one of them aside for the overtime. What you saw last night was an indirect, uh, was an indirect example of what Tucker Carlson directly did at the Family Leadership Summit when the family leader gave him the platform to question the candidates. You, the questioning and the debating of the candidates from the right, which is what the RNC just, I've told you guys for years, you're, you're not permitted to question the Republican Party from the right. You're not permitted to do it on, in corporate media. The Republican Party doesn't want to let you do it either. The, the, both, both the Republican Party and corporate media, for different reasons, Want it, want it, want the, want the plumb line, the Overton window, to say that Mitch McConnell is the most right-wing politician in America. The Republican Party wants this because it doesn't want you to know how much Mitch hates your guts. And most of the candidates, and this applies to most of the candidates that Mitch recruits, because then you'd, you know, then we'd have more than 20% turnout in primaries and throw these people out. The Republican Party doesn't want that. The Democrat media wants you to think that Mitch McConnell's the most, wants America to think Mitch McConnell's the most right-wing politician so that we don't actually elect real right-wing politicians. Now, they have different motivations for why they want this paradigm, but they both do. And you saw when Tucker had a chance to question Mike Pence and Asa Hutchinson earlier this year from the right, you saw them collapse. What Megyn Kelly permitted last night indirectly was an atmosphere of, of, of the candidates questioning and debating each other from the right. Many of the questions were asked from the premise of the right. And I want to discuss what that means going forward and Megyn Kelly's role in that process in particular. Because a couple of other things that I thought stuck out to me, last night's the most I've ever watched of News Nation. I was not aware of the thing on Rumble. I had a million of you in my feed, and my daughter who was watching on Rumble even texted me. Uh, I've got News Nation on Direct TV. 
So I was able to, I didn't know that. I found out like 10 minutes before the debate last night. Oh, that's where it is. Okay. I'd never watched it before. And I tuned in to see Chris Cuomo recasting himself oh. as impartial observer and, and, and arbiter of fairness. And I just thought this is what the whole, this whole thing is pro wrestling, man. I couldn't okay. even do it. I had to turn it off until the debate, but I can't. Fake is cherry girl. People just playing roles. Well, hey, I've had my differences with Megyn Kelly in the past. I, re- I remember she moderated a, a GOP primary debate in Iowa during the 2012 cycle. And she mocked all these questions about how much power judges have. Well, we had just thrown a bunch of judges out in Iowa in the previous election, recall, because I was a part of that. You know, and so this is what you saw last night. That's a different Megyn Kelly than what we saw on Fox News, for sure. Now, it's entirely possible, like almost all of us, she's been more radicalized in response to what the spirit of the age is unleashed. That's undeniably true. I think that's undeniably true to a to a to a, to to some factor, of course. So we'll get into that more about the format of the debate itself and what that means. Hopefully, moving forward, we'll do that in the overtime today at blazetv.com slash dace for Blaze TV subscribers. And that's where you can go to become a Blaze TV subscriber if you would like. However, let's talk about the interaction uh, between the candidates because the environment we were just talking about was tailor-made for both Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy to shine. And they did. I thought overall it was an excellent night for DeSantis, a bit of a slow start. And then I thought he was very strong the last hour and a half or so in the debate. I thought Vivek was terrific throughout almost the entirety of it. There was one moment where he claimed the other candidates kiss Trump's ass more than he does. And that, you know, that's the thing with Vivek sometimes, you know, we laid on it. We poured on a little thick here. Okay. I mean, the reality is if, if we had seen that Vivek, for the whole last six months, he'd be in a much stronger position than he is right now. But he started out being that Vivek. I know, because I emceed his very first event in Iowa. I was there. I heard much of much of the kind of talk you just saw there. I heard that. It was very impressive. Then he decided after Trump's indictment to basically, you know, suspend his campaign unofficially for six months and to become a Trump booster. He's down at outside courthouses doing videos with Laura Loomer. And his camp, he, he did everything the Trump grift corps says Ron DeSantis was supposed to do, and it destroyed Vivek's candidacy. He, he, ha, he has really no candidacy left in Iowa right now because of it. And remember, just last week, we were talking about the discovery that Vivek was promoting biomarkers during COVID. So. Correct. Correct. Now, I've always been somewhat willing to offer him at 38 years old some grace when it comes to the development of a worldview in light of where the world actually is. Now, I'm not looking for a president to develop his worldview on the on the job, but I see the potential in him in the future. And what Vivek does represent, and if you look at what DeSantis and Vivek both both symbolized last night, what Vivek what you know Vivek has taken a, a different sides of lots of issues over the course of this campaign. But one thing he has remained very consistent on, I think he does embody the spirit of Aaron's generation, a, the millennial generation born into an era where there's no nostalgia for the, for the institutions and, and the systems left. It's all gone. That's why he's anathema to people like Christie and Haley. Correct. Because they're institutionalist. Correct. And, and 
That's one thing he's been consistent on the entire time. That the erosion of institutions and the weaponization of them requires radicalization. Now, how that gets done and how that gets applied, uh, you know, he's been passionate about multiple sides of, of the other side of that equation several times. But he's also 38 years old, just not ready to be president. But what you saw last night is when he sticks to that, when he sticks to that song. All right. You know, like I did the Kiss Peloton ride this morning, you know, and they've got to they've got to fill out a lot of Kiss songs in order to make the whole ride Kiss songs. And and some of those some of those some of those songs are filler. And then some of those are Detroit Rock City. You know what I'm saying? When Vivek sticks to his Detroit Rock City, which is these institutions and the institutionalists have to go. He is a weapon of mass destruction. When he attempts to branch out beyond that, the lack of a cohesive worldview gets exposed. But last night, by and large, he got to stick to his wheelhouse and he undeniably destroyed Nikki Haley with that. And Christie. And Christie. To the, I mean, to the point, when, when the conversation turned to Ukraine, and Nikki Haley could not actually name the provinces in eastern Ukraine were allegedly trying to save and willing to go to war over. I mean, I, I found myself spontaneously cheering from my chair in the man cave at that. That's what he embodies. He does embody a millennial generation that has really two plumb lines. One, completely given over to the spirit of the age. The other, completely furious with it. And he embodies, the, he embodies the latter. And he got to do that last night. And he was very good. Ron DeSantis embodies... Ron DeSantis is, is the embodiment of, his, of, the, of the fully developed worldview. If you are a younger boomer, if you are a Gen Xer, and you come from the, the latter end of the Reagan era, you were a little kid during then, or you were born shortly thereafter, and your parents told you about it, and they, they reared you up in the founding fathers and the Constitution. Um, Ron DeSantis is the fulfillment of that. There was a moment when he talked about the Constitution has to be the centerpiece of who we are as a people. You know, you know I love my biblical analogies. Ron DeSantis is a King Josiah-like figure. If you know your if you know your Bible, you know your Jewish history, King Josiah was basically the last great king before the Babylonian captivity. He led the last great revival of the Jewish people, even went to the high places. There were other good kings, chronicles and kings tell us, other good kings, but those high places where basically their their version of the red light district went on was kind of a no-go zone. You know, that that would really tick off another extra layer of people if you took their sex cult away. Yeah, Chris Christie was running those high places saying, you know, correct. that's you want to do with your kids, whatever correct, you want to do. Yeah. You want to sell your kids in a temple prostitution? I wouldn't do it. But, you know, you have a right to do that as a parent. Limited government or something. Right. Exactly. Well, Josiah went up to the high places and tore down the Asherah poles or um, what were the, 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 the monuments, the altars to the, the demon Baal, his his consort Asherah. His concubine. Why did he do this? Because a priest one day named Hilkiah came to him after cleaning out the temple. And according to rabbinic tradition, we know, the Bible doesn't say what it was, but rabbinic traditions say it was Deuteronomy. Um, and, um, and, and he comes to Josiah with the scroll of the word of the Lord, the law. And says, hey, man, I think we're in trouble here. We're a long way from what this puppy says. And, that, and, and that's their... That's their 
their plumb line. That's the that's their connective tissue as a people is is that law. That's what makes them the Jewish people. That law. That's their covenant with God. And so he reinst he reinstitutes that as the centerpiece of Jewish culture and leads a revival. In, in an American civic way, and I'm not saying America is a new Israel, and I'm not saying that uh, this is, you know, uh, specifically a religious document. It's not. But the people that want to undo it are doing it for their own religious reasons. That's also true. But in a civic Americana way, Ron DeSantis represents that. And you saw him apply that throughout the evening, even down to his final statement talking about Calvin Coolidge. Now, the challenge for Ron DeSantis ha- is that, you know, King Josiah, when the, if the priest is able to reach the heart of the king, the king can unilaterally do things that inspire the people. He's unilaterally empowered to do that. He's already king. We don't have kings here. And so the challenge for Ron DeSantis is he can, he can, be, he can believe and be inspired by this all he wants. If the people are not, he's not going anywhere. And, and the reality is, if we were capable as a people collectively of, of, of hearkening back to the foundations that Ron DeSantis represents, he wouldn't have to say that we need to do that. You know what I'm saying? The fact that we're not is why he has to say so. And so trying to figure out then how I'm going to represent this as a candidate successfully and at the same time, I've got this other gravitational force over here called Donald Trump and, and a large group of people who justifiably are like, I don't know if he can win or not. He probably can't. But damn it, I'm not going to let Democrat lawfare choose my nominee for me. He's my ride or die. I'm going down with him to prove a point. And it takes time. Running for president's hard, and it should be. I pointed out before, it took Donald Trump six months. I mean, I, I was there at his very first Iowa campaign event. I was there. That's the first time him and I met physically, in person. He went nowhere. The audience was bored. He stood up there for 20 minutes and talked about China and trade policy, and nobody cared. And towards the very end of it, he started trashing Jeb Bush as a, as a wuss. And suddenly the audience perked up. That was in January. January of 2015. It wasn't until he went to Arizona, did a rally about the border. When was that? July, August? of 2015 that his candidacy took off that's six months donald trump's a master marketer a master messenger and it took him six months to figure out how to run for president it's a hard job you can see the ron DeSantis you're seeing now compared to even what you saw in the first debate way beyond he has now become the candidate that everyone anticipated and hoped he would be when he first announced his run in may it took about six months. Look at the momentum now. The Reynolds endorsement. The Thanksgiving Family Forum. The Vanderplatz endorsement. What he did to Gavin Dusham. And then last night. He has some momentum now. Now the question is, with 39 days to Iowa, he's figured out how to message this stuff. He's figured out how to fight back and be combative. The way he kind of giggled at Nikki Haley as he was destroying her last night, he's figured out how to do the happy warrior thing. He has found his footing as a candidate. Now, he's fully ready now. It took time. The question is, is there enough time 
because the only opinions that matter right now are there 150,000 to 200,000 Iowans that are going to go vote 39 days from today? Is there enough time? We've done enough on this show pointing out that these polls, their specific methodologies are just completely in violation of the natural laws of mathematics, let alone political science. Nevertheless, they probably do point to a general sentiment. What is that general sentiment? That here in Iowa, Trump has some form of comfortable but not insurmountable lead. A majority of Iowa Republicans do not want Trump to be the nominee. If there is a if there is a splintering of those non-Trump voters, Trump will get anywhere from 35 to 45 percent on caucus night and win. Because his people will show up for sure. DeSantis was in second place. Somewhere in there was Nikki Haley with some coalition of the Rubio Kasich wing of the party. What DeSantis needed to do is, is remove the Rubio part of that coalition away from her. People who actually have some principles. And reduce her to nothing but the Kasich wing. I believe that was done last night. You have to understand, there are, there's 10 to 12% of the Republican electorate that hates Republicans. Nikki Haley's going to get their votes. She's their candidate. What he, can't, what he can't do is let Nikki Haley get 18 to 20% in Iowa. He can afford her getting 8 to 10 And I think that was done. And I think now these next 39 days, you can see Trump, the way he's reinvesting in the state. He has scheduled more events. He is spending more money. I don't think we're ever going to get them both on a stage together as I had hoped back in January. But now here at the end of this, the final 39 days, we're going to have something close to a mano a mano between these two alpha males. And we'll see what Iowans decide to do. I think it is a very winnable race for Ron DeSantis. All right, gentlemen, what are your thoughts? Uh, the best line of the night was DeSantis, and I'm paraphrasing, but when he said, you know, if you don't understand that this is uh, abuse of children, I can't believe you about anything else. It just absolutely nails that. Secondly, I'm I'm that line... Uh, uh, that gif who says let them fight when it comes to uh, Nikki and Vivek uh, because I'm just far more I continue to be far more skeptical it just digs deeper and deeper about Vivek last night Uh, I don't uh, I believe Nikki Nikki Haley believes what she says and therefore I don't trust her I believe that Vivek doesn't believe most of what he says and therefore i don't trust him i i I just find that last night the light is so obvious even even allowing for whatever uh, he's he's not quite this he's not quite that I, i there's a proof of concept now with ron DeSantis. now that there's just a man in full there and standing next to the three of them i it's just more apparent than ever before that we're right back at the beginning to what Steve said about this race. It is Trump and it is DeSantis. Yeah. And um, go back 15 years and tell yourself that we're going to see a GOP primary debate where candidates would disagree on whether or not children should be able to chop their nuts or boobs off. I know. Wow. In a GOP frickin primary debate. What Ron DeSantis and to some extent Vivek Ramaswamy did last night 
was a service for that party, maybe saving itself. I, I can't believe that there's disagreement on that. And DeSantis hit it out of the park over and over again. Here's what happens next. There's going to be a poll that comes out today, shows that uh, Donald Trump has Will a it be 90, by 5,000 points or 7,000 yeah, points? 99 point lead over Ron DeSantis, a 99 point lead over Nikki Haley, and Nikki Haley has a 99 point lead over Ron DeSantis as well. With a half percent sp- yeah, response rate. I, I know that adds up to like 200 points, but. We're talking about pools here, so it doesn't matter. Um, In exact exact science. Uh, There's going to be um, more chatter about, I don't know, Ron DeSantis's tie and uh, allusions to homosexuality or something, something like that. And uh, and then we're going to uh, continue the narrative that this thing is over. So just prepare yourself for that. That's that's what's coming down, coming around the corner next uh, later on today, probably. But overall, as Todd said, you can quibble all you want with with uh, mannerisms, with any number of things that ultimately are not consequential to governing. He's there. He's been there. He continues to be there. He has absolutely torched two liberal governors in the span of seven days, tarnished them permanently in the span of seven days, one current, one former. Who else has done that? Ask yourself. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question because I don't think there is one. Or if it is, it's probably no. There's nobody else who's done that. But my polls. I I don't know on a national stage of a Republican that did to a a Democrat standard bearer what, what DeSantis did to... Uh, to do some last week by the way more over over one million more people watched that than watched trump do yeah. his thing on hannity show the other night by the way but um i, I mean I, you know i guess we could go maybe go back and watch the 1980 the one debate in 80 that uh, reagan and, and mondale had and maybe that's the closest we could come you know with that there you go again are you better off than you were four years ago what you saw with Haley last night is when she got to speak on her own, she understands living in South Carolina how to speak our language, but when she got questioned and had to get beyond her talking points, the worldview completely collapsed, man, and the Republican Party does not like seeing that happen to their chosen corporatist vessels by any means, which is why CNN will host the next debate. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. Don't forget about our friends over at Preborn as you consider your year-end giving. There are few ministries more worthy of that support, which is why our family, we have donated to Preborn in the past. We were going through our own budget here for the end of the year and our own year-end giving, and uh, they were right there at the top of the list. An outstanding pro-life ministry uh, that uh, they're, they're, unlike a lot of the, the so-called pro-life movement, they're actually ready, prepared for the post-Roe world. They understand now that this is a, a localized, heart-to-heart, soul-to-soul battle. 
And so they're out there on the streets. They do it gently, but they're confronting moms nevertheless that are considering an abortion. They confront them out there on the streets with that ultrasound so they can hear that baby's heartbeat and realize that it's not just their body. That's somebody else's heart that they hear beating. And over the years when they've done that, about 80% of the time, the mom does not go through with killing her kid. And did you know that ultrasound, even with Biden inflation, is still just 28 bucks? Would, would you donate 28 bucks for an 80% chance to save a human life made in the image of God? A lot of you would and have, and we thank you for that. But then they also know that, hey, there's a reason why that mom is considering it. Chances are, if she's in a healthy, fulfilling, secure relationship, she's not considering murdering her child. It's women like where my mom was. 14 and pregnant, not in that situation, they're often the ones considering it. So they need support. And this is now they started with truth. Now we're going to go with the grace. And they provide prenatal care, postnatal care. All of that is free of charge as well for the mom, provided they've got funding from us. If you want to make a tax deductible donation today to preborn, to give them that funding, go to preborn.com slash Steve to do that. That's preborn.com slash Steve. Again, preborn.com slash Steve. All right, let's welcome into the show, Megan Basham from the Daily Wire. Good to have you back again, Megan. How are you? Merry Christmas. Good to see you. Merry Christmas to you. It's great to be, it's always great to be here. I love visiting your show. Oh, well, thank you very much. All right, there's been, and and this kind of really erupted, frankly, on our own platform with our colleague Dave Rubin about a year ago. And I adore Dave, always have. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. a couple of us, and and Allie does the same, uh, but uh, her and Allie and I, Allie Stuckey and I both, and a few others had it took issue with the promotion of of surrogacy uh, with, with Dave. Uh, and his partner. And this has become a more uh, a widespread thing. We've got on one hand, TikTok is full of videos of heterosexual women bragging that they're, they're childless by choice. And then on the other hand, we are seeing this spate of women's wombs essentially being rented by homosexuals to grant them families. And you have been covering this. Why? Other than the obvious reason why, but what about this issue drew you specifically to it? Well, you know, there's a couple of things. Um, One, obviously, we are talking about the commodification of women, and I am a woman. So when this issue comes up, it hits very close to home for me. For one thing, I think you have a trade in babies um, with women who may not understand exactly what they're getting into and what they're giving up. So it's harming them. Um, Let's be very clear. Women don't do this you know, we, we see the picture sometimes in these stories about, oh, out of the goodness of their heart. Yeah, those are very rare stories. Typically, this is a financial transaction. And uh, not only on the part of the mother who may not realize what kind of psychological and mental health damage, not to mention physical risk that she's putting herself through to do this, typically for money. And then on the other hand, you have the psychological wounds that this causes to a baby. They have done studies of this. Um, Children who are the fruit of donorships or surrogacy report having um, deep-seated identity issues. They crave knowing where they come from, who their parents are. And we don't talk about that issue. And I'm so glad you bring it up, Steve, because I know that this is uncomfortable for all of us because we may all have people in our lives who are gay, who don't understand what our moral objection is. And we have to explain to them that however much affection I may have for you personally, I cannot cross this moral line with Mm -hmm. you and I cannot 
as a standard, as a policy standard, overlook what's happening here because it is creating chaos and it goes against the creation order. And that should be what conservatives are for. So let's be very clear. The creation order is about the family unit, which is the building block of civilization. And once we get away from that family unit, we get further and further from the society as God created it to be, from the Garden of Eden on. One man, one woman, having children together, creating a family. That's what creates a strong society. So we are introducing chaos. So however cute those pictures are, we need to realize that child is being deprived of a mother. And that is the thing we need to be talking about. We need to be talking about the good of that child, not the happiness of two men who are in something that our society now calls marriage. The ethical quandaries as subplots that this deviation from the norm and from first things and first principles creates, I think kind of adds to what you're talking about. Uh, For example, the guy I'm backing for president this time around, Ron DeSantis, uh, he sent baby gifts uh, to Dave and his partner uh, on the Mm -hmm. arrival of their child. And a lot of people in our audience, even people that like Governor DeSantis, were very critical of that and asked me what I thought. And, you know, this was well over a year before he announced he was running for president or I was supporting him. So that didn't factor into my view on it in any way, shape or form. I frankly didn't know what to think about it because Mm -hmm. those children are still made in the image of God. I think the worst possible thing we could do is 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 treat them like they're scarlet lettered, you know. So I, I you know, I'm not I'm not really sure. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know what is the line. I, I know I can't support it on an institutional level, biblically, and therefore I didn't. On the other hand, these children were created. They're made in God's image. They are alive. They're, they're living right now. I'm, I'm, am I, I, I can't see shunning them as the answer either. I don't know what the line is to sell it. You know, so if I, how far can I go? And then it looks like I'm, I'm blessing the way that they came into the world. On the other hand, God under his grace permitted them to come into the world. I mean, I was born to a woman who got pregnant from her high school senior boyfriend. That's not an institution right. to be glorifying. Same. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's not an institution to be spreading and glorifying, all right? We don't want our, you and I both have daughters. We don't want our daughters getting pregnant like our moms did, okay? You know, and so you see what I'm trying to navigate here is yeah, I'm, yeah. There's, to, to, the institutional debate is clear. How then to, to react once the reality of the conception and birth of these children arrive? I think there's a, I think this is where I'm, that I'm ha- when I'm having a hard time navigating. I think what we have to do is very clearly separate our criticisms of the method of conception from the infant itself, from the life of that baby, because every life is precious. And I think what you can say is that institutionally, we do not want to condone a practice that is creating motherless children, that is creating fatherless children. So I think you can be very clear about that, while at the same time saying, while this is going on and we may be working against um, policies that allow this to happen, we are at the same time, of course, as we would with you and I, with any other baby who comes into the world under unideal circumstances, we still embrace and love that baby. We still celebrate that life. So, you know, I'm not sure, um, I feel like you, I'm not sure about Governor DeSantis's practice there. I think this, I think if um, you send the gift, you say we love and we celebrate this life while at the same time being very clear on the moral lines that the conception 
crossed, that the practice of surrogacy crossed. I think that is a, a needle that we can all thread. And, you know, part of what's been so interesting to me is that you have now these so-called principled conservatives who aren't threading that needle at all. They're not trying to deal with the complexity. They've just completely rolled over and given in. And that's what's been fascinating to me. I mean, you have seen, um, I, I feel like now I, I have to bring him up every time I mirror, but he was such a big um, influence on how the conversation has shifted. And that's David French. Mm -hmm. He went from saying, um, I am opposed to gay marriage now to saying conservatives should just accept it as a matter of law. We should accept Obergefell. Obergefell is wonderful. He actually said the great thing about Obergefell is that uh, he, he didn't say the great thing, but he said, I support Obergefell now because it has allowed the establishment of joyful gay families, not just marriage, but families. Now, where are the children coming in to make those families? In most cases, it is not adoption. It is through this buying and selling of children. So they've just completely rolled over. They're not willing to deal with the moral um, Rubicon that we're crossing here. And I, I even saw, and I think that the David French's and also Jonah Goldberg's, who is now fine with it, um, who put out this statement that basically you can be conservative and condone Obergefell, you can be on board with that now. That is trickling down to the squishy pastors who I, I saw one online just a couple of days ago, um, a guy named Joel Rainey, who is a you know big, pretty well-known pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest Protestant denomination in the US. I think because David French opened that door and those guys kind of follow his reasoning, he said, well, gosh, it's time for the church to stop arguing about gay marriage because you cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube. Well, what we're seeing is that um, toothpaste is now creating a lot of chaos. And at no point did any of them deal with the fact that Obergefell created an acceptance of surrogacy as a practice. And so I think that's where we split the line saying, yeah, we're going to celebrate these babies' lives, but we're going to continue to talk about the immorality and the chaos that Obergefell and gay marriage creates as we now, downstream from that, have motherless children. Would Pastor Rainey go before his congregation and say, listen, uh, teenagers in heat are going to hook up, can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, you know, so... Just, you know, not yeah, our issue. Question. No, notice that this only, the, the, these kinds of arguments only work with, with, with only one particular form of sexual sin. You ever notice that? Yeah, I do. And it was really funny because I asked him and he didn't answer me on that basis. If the basis, and he made a really weird comment when he received a lot of pushback and his comment was, well, rather than outlawing something that millions of people are doing in secret, I would rather, I, I think he said something like convert people so that they love Jesus and don't do it at oh all anymore. Gosh. It was the most bizarre statement. And I was sitting there. Was thinking, he wearing a Hawaiian shirt? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't, actually, he maybe have a Hawaiian shirt on in his avatar on Twitter yeah. or X as it's now called. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, my question to him was, OK, well, on that basis, how do you outlaw um, polygamy then? Why exactly. should we not just hope that people love Jesus enough not to marry multiple partners? How do we not uh, say, gosh, we hope that brothers and sisters don't marry each other because they love Jesus enough? We shouldn't outlaw it. Let's just teach them to love Jesus. No, we have laws to enforce moral order because in no society in history have the majority of citizens 
loved Jesus sincerely. In no society in history has the majority of the populace been saved, sanctified Christians. And yet we don't just allow um, the return of judges and uh, the Old Testament to say everyone can just do what's in their, what's right in their own eyes until they love Jesus. We don't do that. But that was shocking to me to see that that's how much this ideology has trickled down that a well-known pastor in the largest and arguably most conservative denomination in the United States is now openly saying, hey, you know what? Let's not really argue against Obergefell anymore. Um, and by that, by that extension, he has to say, we're going to allow them to form families then. Final thing on this, Megan, what, what's the driving impetus of this? There's a, I think there's an important distinction biblically. There are stories of women who felt as if you know, their femininity was was not fulfilled without a child. I think her name was Hannah. That's the the great uh, the judge Samuel's mother, uh, who promised God, "Hey, if you give me, if you allow me to conceive, I'll dedicate that child to you." Like I I don't need this child for my fulfillment. I want to fulfill my calling as a woman. And I if you get if you grant you open my womb, I will grant this fruit. I'll dedicate this fruit of my womb to you. And he became maybe the greatest judge in Israel's history, the last judge of of Israel actually. And then so there's that, and then. There's this idea, though, that I will not be fulfilled personally without a kid so that therefore the kid is there for my emotional validation um, as opposed to to me wanting to give myself away to the child. That is a, a, a thin needle to thread. How do we know how to thread it? Uh, well, you know, the key thing I would say there is, is it what God made you to do? If mm. you are a woman, God has implanted in you a desire to have children. And I obviously, if you're a man as well, he has implanted in you a desire to be a father, but within the institution that he founded and decreed. He create. I mean, you put two men perfectly physically healthy on an island for a thousand years, you're never going to get a baby. Mm. You put a healthy of, you know, childbearing age, man and woman who don't have some physical deficiency on an island, you're going to get a baby probably pretty quick. So, you know, these are natural instincts that have been implanted into us, but you cannot pursue those instincts outside of the prescribed natural order. And that is what we're seeing. We're seeing a twisting of the um, moral law. And I think it was C.S. Lewis who said something like, however good the virtue is, is how wicked it can be when it's abused. Mm -hmm. So the natural desire to have children, to parent children, that's a good thing. And that is how, when you twist it and you abuse it into something it was not intended to be, it can then give you the greatest wickedness in your society. And I think that's what we're seeing. By the way, I think the, the first example of surrogacy in history that I know of is Hagar and Abraham. Yes. And, and we know how how that unfortunately turned out. That's still playing out in our headlines to this very day, in fact. Megan Basham at the Daily Wire. Always good to see you, Megan. All right. God bless. Thanks and again, Merry Christmas. Me. All right. Take care. You too. All right. What do you think about that conversation? I thought the oh. distinction she drew there at the end, I thought oh, yeah. was vitally important. The last question and her answer is yeah. the whole thing. And uh, that's why I had her on. She's... Uh, She's so sharp. I, this is, it's not, it's not complicated. It's like with uh, abortion. I often ask women, uh, do you know, A, do you know where babies come from? And B, as a woman of the West, who's very responsible and uh, can, can do all things, are you, will you hold yourself responsible to engaging in uh, the, that choice? The same is true here. Do you know where babies come from? And are you, will you hold yourself responsible to that choice? As a gay person, male or female, you have chosen a sterile relationship. 
You chose that. Why won't you hold yourself accountable to it? And it goes right to your question, Steve. Is this about the child or is this about you? And quite frankly, had Ron DeSantis asked me about uh, uh, what to do about doing that how far along ago, uh, no, you shouldn't do that because these children are being abused. That's me talking. Send the emails to me. This is abuse. To withhold a mother or a father from a child to fulfill your own selfishness is abusive. That abuse can come out in many, many forms. Steve, you were abused by having that withheld from you. Look what you had to endure. You've shared it many, many times. This is the same kind of thing. I, 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 all of the niceties about I mean, that, uh, that people just waste on this because they are boys or girls who can shave and the child is just a prop in their life. And I don't know. I have zero patience for it. It disgusts me. In any other, in any other context... If a person came to someone who knew that they could procure and deliver another human being and said, I will pay you to procure mm. and deliver another human being mm. for my own desire, what would we call that? Trafficking. Yep. Yeah. This is just a new school, technologically advanced form of human trafficking, and you will never convince me otherwise. I've actually never heard it put that way before. That's Bravo. interesting. Hour two is next. All right, this was one time that the conversation off air might have been better than the one on the air. Welcome back here. Totally, it wasn't a continuation of what we were just discussing. Totally different topic. All right. Anyway, uh, welcome back here for hour two, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with a very angry, unhappy Todd Erzin and, uh, and, and Aaron McIntyre, who is joining me in laughing with, not at, of course, the very angry and upset totters. And, uh, let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. You can email us, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can find me as well via podcast. And I know a lot of you right now are listening to that podcast. Thank you. Please, if you haven't yet done this, leave us a five-star review. Maybe you've left us one. Consider leaving us another one. We need all the five-star reviews we can get. Thanks to all of you who have. Hit subscribe. Or if you listen via iTunes, it's follow nowadays. That way you make sure every time we do a new episode, it shows up in your feed every single time. And this portion of the show is brought to you by our friends over at Eden Pure with their very popular thunderstorm air purifier. The key word there is purifier. All right. <clears throat> the reason why these work so well is they are not air fresheners. They're purifiers. They, they seek out the components that are causing those strong odors, whether it's from litter boxes or trash cans or cooking or cigarette smoke. For example, winter's coming. For some of you, it's already here. You'll be using a lot of indoor air fryers or grills because you can't grill outside. Sometimes those odors don't want to go away. Bam. A, the the Eden the Eden Pure makes those odors go away. Even the mildew smell in the basement, no match. 
And they're filterless. You're never adding a filter out of pocket or out of time ever again. You want to try these? Get the three-pack for whole home protection, every level of your home, or you can add in your garage or your office. All three units for under $200 and free shipping. All three units for under $200 and free shipping. When you go to EdenPureDeals.com and use my name, Steve, as your promo code, promo code Steve at EdenPureDeals.com. Three non-political questions are coming your way a little bit later on here in the show. But before we get there, Theology Thursday. We have two Theology Thursdays left. Next week, I'm going to reset one of my favorite topics, particularly this time of year, at the request of one of our listeners slash viewers. And given that this is one of my favorite topics this time of year, it doesn't take much arm twisting to get me to reset this. Just one person asking you to do this again, that was enough. Yeah, you bet. Any excuse I have to reset this, this time of year, I love. And, and so next week, we'll have our final Theology Thursday of the year. Because the following Thursday will be our, the first of our two-part end-of-the-year special, including our year-end days group. <clears throat> so next Thursday for Theology Thursday, the true story of St. Nicholas. I love that topic. I love that story. I love how the dude just got up and busted the heretic Arius right in his mouth. Right? That reminds me. Guys, you got to remind me. I haven't posted my, my favorite Christmas meme yet. It's of the uh, venerated uh, canonized St. Nicholas. Came here to... Yeah, bring, I, I, I came here to give presents to kids and to punch heretics in the face. I'm all out of presents. Okay. You know why I posted it yesterday? <laughs> What's that? It's his feast day yesterday. It, was it yesterday? Yes. Okay, I've not posted it yet. I gotta, it, I've got to remember to get that posted for the, for, the, uh, for the advent. But we'll get into that next, uh, next Thursday for Theology Thursday. This week, I, I want to talk about uh, in our penultimate Theology Thursday of 2023... I want to talk about something that I am personally concerned about. I wrote about this a little bit for the blaze earlier this week, but I, I, I want to spend more time discussing it broadly and less time outside the context of a particular example. Because when we get into a particular example, if you read the piece I wrote about this for The Blaze this week, I'd highly urge you to go over to the stream. And a guy that uh, I've known for several years, whose intellect I really respect, uh, John Zamerick, wrote, I guess I'd call it a quasi-rebuttal. He seems to agree with a lot of it, but thinks that maybe I carry my, my, um, my, my, my thesis too far. Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah. He agrees with the premise, but thinks I carry the premise too far. Yeah, this and, was definitely... Iron and sharpening iron territory. I mean, to put you two in a room and make that interactive, I mean, everybody would come out the better because I think, it, I mean, that you don't get a conversation like you two offered with these two columns. Not, I mean, John is extremely smart. So I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. So if you want to read a, a, a quasi rebuttal, um, you can read it over at the stream. Stream.org is that website. John Zamerick has written a rebuttal to what I discussed uh, er earlier this week on the show and wrote about for The Blaze. Uh, Stream.org, you can read John Zamerick's quasi-rebuttal there. Let, let's take it out of a specific example. And, and, and let's make sure, and let's have this, because when we get into specific examples, as John points out in his piece, well, I can come up with specific examples 
where we followed historically some form of tribalism and it worked out. Now, I, I don't think tribalism is the same as idolatry. I, let me put it this way. I think, I think tribalism can become idolatry, but not all tribalism, tribalism is idolatrous. Let me repeat that. Tribalism can become idolatry, but not all, idol, not all tribalism is idolatrous. How does, what does that mean? Well, I think we have to define idolatry. There are, there are, there are 10 commandments. We've done whole theology Thursdays on this in the past. They are not, they are not revealed and listed randomly. The, there's a reason why there's, there's five of them on two stone tablets. And it's not because God ran out of room. He could have just put them all on one tablet. Okay. But there are two tables there. The, the first five commandments that Moses comes down the mountain with are vertical in their relationship, the relationship between us and God. The second five or the, or the second table are horizontal. The relationship we, we, that we have with one another. Why? Well, when God himself came down from on high, which is what we commemorate this time of year. So Moses has to go on high to commiserate with God, right? Later, God will come down from on high, much higher, but still on high. God will come down from on high and commiserate with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And one of the things that God as it, or Christ is asked during his earthly ministry here is what is the greatest of the commandments? Love the Lord your God while all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he adds on his own, the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is the condensed version of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, the first table. Five ways that by not doing these things, by, by, by refusing these things, resisting these things, we demonstrate we are we are we are doing what we can in, in in our in our own limited way, and if you're in a if you're in the Old Testament, you you didn't have a democratized Holy Spirit to guide you. All right, we we now live in the era that the prophet Jeremiah prophesied, where where God takes our heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. God comes now to live in us. We are temples of His Holy Spirit, but it is by resisting the things God says not to do in those first five. That we demonstrate a desire to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first table. When we, the second table, don't murder one another. Don't covet or have obscene, egregious levels of jealousy for one another. Don't steal from one another. Don't break up one another's marriages and defile those covenants. That, that, those are itemizations of the second commandment. What does it mean now? So the first five are, what does it mean to love the Lord thy God, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? God is God. Don't make other things God. Don't, don't blaspheme his name. Okay? That's those first five. The next five are the itemization of what Jesus says is the second greatest commandment. To love the Lord, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. If I love my neighbor as I love myself, the most, ba not all, not all, but the most basic things I will not do are those second five things. So all Jesus is doing is distilling down 
the Ten Commandments. They are summarized, the first five, by love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second five by love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you are in covenant with God, your greatest temptation will not be to, 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 to not acknowledge him as God. You are in covenant with him. So you already have. The greatest temptation we will have is to take other things of this world and put them on the same pedestal as God. Or to create our own processes, our own understandings, <clears throat> pardon me, and, and, and say, these are the only paths to know God, to follow him, to obey him. They might not even be immoral, for example, or even bad. We've talked about the whole dancing thing with Baptist on the show before, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. David dances in the scriptures, right? If you remember the movie Footloose when we were kids and Kevin Bacon's character goes before the city council and reads those verses, right? Right. Right. All right. So, so David's, David's willingness to, 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 to dance in, in the way that he did. You're making me uncomfortable. <laughs> is to glorify God, the work that God has done through him and for him, right? Yes. But that's not the premise of most of the dancing we do today is not to glorify God, right? Right. Most of, is most of the dance is, is all dancing lascivious and, and, no. and sensual. No, no. But is most of the ways we dance today in our time and culture titillating, sensual and lascivious. Yes. Yes. So, it is understandable why, if you care about holiness, you may be concerned about allowing something that is mostly, not always, but mostly reduced to things that are to lead to unholiness, letting that in, right? Yes. But, it, but if, if you go far enough as to say, well, if you don't agree that we have a blanket rule against this, you're not saved or you're not a Christian You've actually turned, you, you see, here's the thing. You've turned your own moral zealousness into idolatry. This is the great temptation for those in covenant with God. Is to, is to mix and match. To not leave God holy and set apart. But to bring him over here where we are. Or to bring other things over to where God is. The stained glass window term for this is idolatry. Which stems from what was worshipped in the pagan world were idols. At one point, the prophet Isaiah mocks the Jewish people who are tempted into idolatry. Meaning they're still going to temple, they're still doing the sacrifices, they're still following the law. But they're like, you know, there might be a few things that uh, maybe this, uh, this mosaic insurance plan don't cover. So let me get a supplemental insurance plan. A corollary writer from Baal or from Chemosh or from Molech just to make sure all my bases are covered, right? Why would they do that? For the same reasons, you know, I mentioned an example last hour of the first example of surrogacy that we know of in history. And, and this is when an elderly woman 
way advanced in years, way beyond childbearing years, named Sarai, is told by God that she will give birth to a son, a son of promise, a son of covenant. And she laughs and thinks there's no way that's possible. It's scientifically, I'm, I'm beyond, I'm, I'm beyond, you know, knowing sexual pleasure, she says. I'm beyond conception. So is my husband, frankly. He's even older than me. And God says, well, I'm God. And <clears throat> so I kind of get to make the rules around here. That's going down. Time goes by. It doesn't happen in the time frame she had hoped. So she decides, well, you know, maybe I've come up with something that God hadn't thought of yet. I've got this servant over here, this Egyptian woman named Hagar. She's younger. She's of childbearing age. And since she's a servant, we can basically use her. That kind of goes to what you were saying about surrogacy last hour, Mm -hmm. Aaron. Since she's a servant, she's an underclass. She's beneath us. We can use her. And so she gives her husband, quote unquote, permission to have sex with her. And maybe this is how, maybe this is how God will grant us a child. Or as Paul would put it in the New Testament, let us sin so that God's grace abounds. And when Paul says this, he's mocking this. He's being sarcastic. Okay. Because it's the Garden of Eden all over again. She. Right. Did grabs, God really say? She grabs the forbidden fruit. Yes. He, uh, Abraham should know better because he's been dealing with God. He goes full Adam and shrugs and says, well, well, I guess. Yep. Not to mention young woman. Yeah. Pretty attractive. Okay, cool. I guess if you're going to twist my arm. Yep, yep. Exactly. All right. That's not what God had in mind. Uh, God does not sin so that may grace abound. Um, um, they practiced idolatry. And the result is the son that is born out of that relationship. Um, Ishmael is essentially the father of what we know today as Islamic culture. And by the way, can we do a quick aside here? Ishmael, how did he treat his younger brother? When, when, the, when, brother. when God ended up fulfilling his promise mm-hmm. and Isaac was born yep. um, abusively, maybe even tried to kill him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another word for that is what? Uh, Hamas. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually the word. That's a great point. One of the words that is used in Hebrew to describe the way that Ishmael was treating his mother. Understand, Ishmael is a grown man. Isaac is a child. One of the ways that the, the, Old, the Old Testament, the Hebrew words used there to describe how Ishmael is mistreating Isaac is the Hebrew word we translate into Hamas. That'll preach, right? Yes, it will. Yeah. Idolatry makes fools of us all. And, and for the believer, idolatry comes from a lack of faith. A, a belief that the world system is so, over, is so powerful that we have to make some form of deal with it to get ahead. And the temptation with that is that there is some truth to we have to be in the world and not of it. There is some truth to we have to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And, and that kind of goes to John Zamerick's quasi rebuttal of my piece is he's arguing that my premise is sound. But if I apply it as far as I was willing to, then I am now blurring the line of when we make any strategic decisions in history at all, for example. Right. See, this is actually what, what John wants to have is the argument about this that needs to be had. Meaning, are we being strategic or are we being idolatrous? The reason why I am presenting this premise and carrying it as far as I am is we're not having that, that debate at all. We are assuming everything we do is good because we're good. And so any calculation we make, any look the other way we make, any sleight of hand we commit is good because the evil we're up against is so much worse than us. 
if we're not willing to have the debate that John is trying to have with me in his piece, we will become idolaters because we're never checking our own spirit. We're always operating under the assumption that, well, we're, we're less evil than that which we're up against, and so therefore we're good. God does not judge us by the standard of the world, but by his own. God does not judge us in comparison with a fallen creation, but in, in, in light of his, his commands and his law and his word. I want to show you something. I tweeted about this earlier this week, if you don't mind here. Let me narrow this down for you. Our friend Bob Vanderplatz quoting from the Old Testament from 2 Samuel. When one rules over people in righteousness, that, that word literally just means following the paths of God. That's what it means, or the law of God. Um, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of the morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth, meaning he provides clarity and he's fruitful. I added this corollary to Bob's tweet earlier this week. The problem is that more and more of the right thinks it is righteous just by opposing the openly demonic left and therefore isn't required to have its own character held in check by any other higher standard. Worse, the right is increasingly also embracing the idolatry of preaching that Almighty God agrees, and thus is ironically becoming more and more like the left, each believing God is changing his mind and standards for them. The left believes this whole hog, but too much of the right is already at the pig roast. Now, Aaron, leave that up there as I continue to talk about this for a second, if you don't mind. Let me provide you an example of what I mean. The left believes that either it can either ignore God or that, that God will change the definition of what a human life is, what a gender is, what a border is, what a crime is for them. Because they're that, their views of such things are, such moral, are so morally superior. That if your God won't change, then you should be persecuted for not changing or your God will change. Because ye be like God. Increasingly, the right is saying, because everything I just articulated is so demonically evil, is what I just articulated demonically evil? Sure. Is, what the, is much of what the left's agenda in this day and age trying to, what they're trying to perpetuate, is it openly demonic evil? Yes. What you saw from these Ivy League presidents this week is just straight up demonic. When, what you saw from a woman who went before the Congress and saying, women have to learn to lose gracefully to men pretending to, that, are, that are female impersonators. That's not, that's, that's not camouflaged language. That's not philosophical meandering. Straight up demonic, right out of the tap. Like they tapped the keg of hell, drank right, and, and the raw sewage of hell went right into their cup. They drank it straight, no chaser, and it just mainlined it right into their soul. That's what it is, right? Yes. Yeah. We have to be careful, though, that we cannot lose our own character in this process and our own integrity. We cannot say because that evil is so open and overt and obvious that we are now able to commit according to our standards and what we think and what we believe, which is another way for saying idolatry, are the quote unquote lesser offenses of gaslighting, of dishonesty 
character assassination. We can't do that. Is it true that bearing false witness by the, by the, by the hierarchy of values in the Ten Commandments is ranked after committing murder? Is that true? Yes. yes. Does that mean, though, that God does not care about the bearing of false witness? No, because no. it's still on the page. It's still on the stone, isn't it? Yes. It's still on the tablet. So it's pretty important. When you read the scriptures, here is what you will find. You will not find a single example of God overlooking the idolatry of his own people because the idolatry of the of those who reject him is so much worse. In fact, you're going to find the opposite. And this is much of Jewish history, in fact. What you're going to find instead is that God will take the people that are, quote unquote, so much worse, the Philistines, Ahab, Jezebel, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. He'll take the people that are, quote unquote, so much worse and will actually use them to punish the idolatry of his own people. The other way around. Because in the kingdom of God, integrity does not operate from the outside in, from the inside out. This is true on a micro level when Jesus says to the religious skeptics of his ministry and of his calling as Messiah, it is not what you put into your body that makes you unclean, but what comes out of it. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks inside out. On a macro level, we see this in the Old Testament when God is working covenantally through a nation. When their idolatry grows, he punishes them with the even more idolatrous. And in the New Testament, this is articulated. Judgment begins or accountability begins in the house of God. If you read the New Testament, you're going to find, just like in the Old Testament, God uses blasphemers and God haters to punish the idolatry of his own people in the new Testament. What you're going to find is many more apologetics going after Christians who are violating orthodoxy than complaining about the lack of orthodoxy of pagans. There is no epistle written by Paul that does a, that does a specific takedown of Greco Roman, the Greco Roman pantheon. There is no epistle from Paul that does a specific takedown of why Saturn worship and Jupiter worship is wrong. There's a, there are, though, epistles by Paul written when we allow that into the church, when we allow that idolatry into us. And then he doesn't blame the Greco-Roman influence on the culture. He actually says to the church, you are to abstain from the Greco-Roman influence on the culture. It's on you. It's not that culture was so overwhelming you couldn't resist it. It's that you have fallen away and need to return to your first love. After I posted this, I got this response. Very first reply. Very first reply. A guy named John Galtz Ghost says, I'm not voting for a pope. All I ask is follow the Constitution. The only self-righteous person is you. Now, I may be a lot of things. I may have a lot of faults. Ask people who know me. They'll list them for you. But if I am basing my definition of righteousness on something that comes from outside of myself, guess what? I cannot be self-righteous. 
If my definition of, of righteousness comes from a source outside of myself and my own understanding, I may be wrong. It might not be the right source, right? right. The source might be bad, but I can, if it comes from outside myself, I cannot possibly be self-righteous. Actually, the guy, this guy is self-righteous, claiming that there's a standard outside of what is articulated. In fact, what, he is, what he's providing is an excellent example of the idolatry on the right I am warning about. First of all, he cites not unironically the identity of a character created by a known God-hater named Ayn Rand, John Galt. And Ayn Rand got a lot of things right. But in the macro, she got virtually everything wrong. And there is a realistic chance, I mean, I have no idea what happened between Ayn Rand and Jesus on her deathbed. But there's at least some realistic chance that where Ayn Rand has been spending eternity now, she probably regrets some of the things she got wrong. Fair? Fair. Fair. There's at least, there's at least some chance that a woman who mocked Christians, mocked the Bible, mocked God, denied it. Even went on Phil Donahue and did it on national TV once. There's a realistic chance that woman never repented and never accepted the grace of God and is in hell now. So I'm not exactly sure that that should be your avatar. But essentially what, 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 what this is claiming, and more and more people on the right are claiming this, is that my desired selfish outcome, even if it is quote unquote more moral than the, than, than the alternative outcome, that that outcome is the most important thing. And God says, no, it's not. Your relationship to him is the most important thing. Your relationship with him is the most important thing. And anything that gets in our way, when you hear Todd, who freaking loves college football. True. Loves it. True. And will spend, when he's not with his kids, following their athletic travails on a Saturday, what are you likely doing? If I'm, if I'm at home and I have nothing to do, I'll watch a college football game. Exactly. So he's not ripping college football as much as idolatry yes putting it in a place where it does not belong a space where it does not belong where god belongs and then the god-given responsibilities and duties and obligations he gives us as a part of that relationship with him putting it where those things belong that is idolatry nailed it we have to resist this if we don't resist this on the right Hear me out as I close this out. If we don't resist this on the right, it will end whatever's left of Western civilization and American exceptionalism far sooner than even what the spirit of the age has planned. Because it will mean those of us who want to oppose the spirit of the age are so corrupted we can't do it successfully. That God will not bless our efforts. Because our efforts are not in recognition of him but in our own selfish desires and idolatry. And that is not self-righteousness. Those who are pursuing the idolatry are actually the self-righteous.
Nothing brings back warm Christmas memories like the songs and carols you love. And only Pericarditis and his mRNAs have all your favorite holiday songs in one non-random controlled study. It's beginning to look a lot like a Vax Pass to get into anywhere you go. From inspiring hymns like Oh, holy spike the protein bloodstream traveling because they lied and it don't stay in your arm. Oh, little town of Wuhan, we can't believe you lied. You're run by creeps who should be put to sleep. Those bats, they don't live nearby. Two traditional Christmas classics such as The twelfth decade of lockdowns my true lords gave to me Absolutely freaking nothing I've been home since Christmas hmm. You can zoom with me said your kidneys to the people far and near do you fear remdesivir then there's those funny novelty songs to lighten the mood grandma got run over by a promo he left her to die in an infected nursing home i really can't stay baby it's covid stan i really must go can't baby it's covid stan I saw mommy masking Santa Claus Because the CDC said so last night Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell palsy If you dare get that booster then you sure are ballsy And of course we remember the reason for the season Ouchie, did you know that your virus would someday wreck the world. Fauci, did you know that your science doesn't know what's a boy or a girl? It came upon Anthony Fauci, a sulfuric presence of old. From demons deep within the earth Who knew that his soul was sold But that's not all. This collection has so much more to offer, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Redfield, All I Want for Christmas is My Fifth Vaccine, Deck Rochelle with Facts and Data, Whitmer Wonderland, Little Jabber Boy, Have Yourself a Little Waning Efficacy, Happy Christmas, This is Never Over, and more. All this can be yours for a high, high price we can't name yet because inflation, but don't let that stop you from this once-in-a-lifetime collection. Call now at 1-900-666-VAX to order. Only available while supply chains last. Must be double-masked when you call. Again, that's 1-900-666-VAXX. With the first time you saw that, Princess, your reaction was what? I was just thinking of you and Aaron sitting in this room alone. 
and you singing your heart out and Aaron having to subject himself to that and record that. Never question my loyalty, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we got numerous requests for that. It dawned on me. It's already December 7th and we have not reset it yet once. I, I know I've said before, Nefarious Plot is the greatest thing I've ever written. I think that I'll never write anything better than that. That's, I mean, it's not I mean, executed well by me, okay? Uh, but neither the, were the jabs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but the writing, uh, the writing I'm proud of. The execution, not so much in terms of the singing, but the writing, very much, I'm very much proud of. Yes. I wasn't there in the room when this happened. Uh, because we wanted and, to shock and, and you and was, not let you know it was coming. That's why. But I can, I know in my mind's eye, I can just see how happy you were in the moment. <laughs> yes. That creative energy, I know it's Some for things sure. just took several takes because I was just laugh. laughing at my own jokes, which you know I, I like to do. I know. <laughs> I know you do. Oh, this portion of the show brought to you by our friends over at Fume. You know, cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, especially this time of year. But there's better ways than cold turkey to break your bad habit. Fume is an innovative, innovative award-nominated device that does just that for you. Because not everything in your bad habit is bad. So instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses all-natural, delicious flavors. So stopping is something we all put off. Because it's hard. But switching to Fume is easy, enjoyable, and fun. Get started today with their journey pack. Head to try Fume, F as in Frank, or Frankincense, U-M as in Mary. Tryfume.com. Use the code Steve to save 10% off the journey pack today. That's tryfume.com. Use the code Steve to save an additional 10% off your order today. Again, tryfume.com. Use the code Steve to save an additional 10% off your order today. Time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. All right, time for three non-political questions. You already know she's here, Anna. Anastasia, good to see you. How are the two of you, uh, you and Autumn, doing today? Good. You know, it's funny because I've gotten some people like on social media and stuff telling me that I like look like I am like a little bigger, like fatter. And I'm like, well, I am pregnant. That is what happens. <laughs> and so I, I guess it's starting to show now, which I find exciting. They're so nice on social media. They're so nice. That's so nice. I know. Just so. recognizing my daughter, I guess, yes. right? Yeah, exactly. There you go. That's the way to look at you it. Yes. it positively, right? Yes. All right. First question. So my first question for you guys is, some. so something big happened recently, and I want to kind of get your guys' opinion on it. Oh, boy. Okay. So what are your guys' thoughts on Taylor Swift being Time it. Magazine's Person of the Year. I knew that you were setting us up to talk about this very thing. I knew it. My take may be surprising to you. It's, it's perfect. She is. If you, if you stop and think about the current state and condition of the culture, she is its pinnacle. And... Um, in some respects, she's deadheads plus Madonna, um, you know, um, uh, 
plus fish. I'm trying to think of, you know, acts. When we were kids, Todd, all the girls tried to look like Madonna and follow her. Um, but this is way beyond that. Um, you look at, uh, you know, fish or, or the Grateful Dead people or Kiss that, you know, the Kiss Army, people who followed these bands everywhere they went for their, you know, that was a, a way of life to follow them and and, and, and go to their performances and catalog them. Um, I mean, she is the pinnacle of all of those things. So I, I actually think it's one of the, um, I, I won't, you know, I won't say it. It's a, it's, it's one of the most worthy, I guess is what I'll say. It's one of the most worthy selections for person of the year that time has made in several years. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying it is a thing. I say it's uh, nefarious. This is what Steve was talking about his book. And then the movie uh, lays out, as well, how to turn this American experiment on itself, something uniquely created uh, based on a creed. And it's, it, it's just, the, it's, it feeds us the thin gruel that we want. It used to, re, it, it used to resent the fact, I mean, it would have, we're, we're Time Magazine. We're snobs. We're not going to give you what you want. You're beneath us. Well, they're still beneath you, but they're beneath us. But the way to keep it that way is to keep us dumb and stupid. And so we get Taylor Swift instead of Bob Dylan. So she has reached near antichristical levels of fame, especially towards the latter part of this year. Now, she was everywhere on her tour. How much money did she make? She made over a billion dollars, didn't she? Mm-hmm. Uh, touring. And then now she's supposedly dating Travis Kelsey of my Chiefs. And that brought that took her to an, an even higher level. So could I see Time Magazine's Person of the Year some year down the line being the actual Antichrist? Yes. And so does it surprise oh, me yeah. that they that they put somebody who reached antichristical levels of fame this year on their cover? No. So I'm kind of with Steve. It's perfect. All right. Before we get to question two, don't forget about our friends at Relief Factor. Particularly this time of year, man, you want to be active. You want to be mobile. You don't want to be bogged down with chronic pain. You want to enjoy the holidays. Check out Relief Factor right now. Get the three-week three uh, three quick start for just 20 bucks. Find out. If you don't see results in three weeks or less, what do you got to lose for 20 bucks? Relief Factor is the drug-free anti-inflammatory. Why does that matter? Because if you've got chronic pain, chances are that that is coming from too much inflammation in your joints. And that's where that achiness, that soreness, that lingering stiffness that just doesn't want to go away, hangs around. It's very stubborn. And you've tried how many other, you know, alternatives to do something about it. They didn't work. This might be the solution you're working for. Uh, or looking for. And about 70% of the people, they see it work so well for them. In just those three weeks, they stick around long-term with Relief Factor because of the results they see in three weeks or less. So why not see if you don't see those kind of results in three weeks or less? Take advantage of the three-week quick start for just 20 bucks right now at relieffactor.com, or you can call them at 800-4-RELIEF, 800-4-RELIEF, or relieffactor.com. Again, that's relieffactor.com. Question two. So my second question for you guys is, do you agree with Billboard's top five Christmas songs of all time? So this was like their top 100. Okay. But I just picked out the top five. Okay. So number five, A Holly Jolly Christmas. It's not one of the top five songs, Christmas songs of all time. No. I love the song, but it's not. Did they count carols? Christmas carols? 
like yeah that's a good point or, like like hark the herald angels sing and i didn't stuff, go or? through the whole list okay <laughs> well well even even without carols i wouldn't even put it in the top five maybe yeah. it, but it's a great it's a very good but song. if it's a hundred songs i'm assuming some carols got i would i would hope so yeah it's, i don't think it's a top five I Christmas agree. Song. not in the top five yep Okay, number four, The Christmas Song by Nat King Cole. It's one of the greatest selling songs of all time, regardless of genre. So I'm okay with yes, it being there. Agreed. Yeah. I yeah. love that song. Number three, Jingle Bell Rock. No, no way. No. I love this song, but no way that's number three. <laughs> Maybe no. not even a top 15. I, 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 Did Rolling Stone do this? <laughs> they're known for terrible list for those of you that don't know go ahead number two rocking around the christmas tree oh no. your great your, your great grandmother loved that song but no that's not a top five mm, by brenda lee no that's not a top five christmas song and number one all i want for christmas is you right carrie no. it's 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 i think the greatest selling single of all time now it's um not a serious but, list. but but no i mean how do you not have white christmas which prior to that was the greatest single of all time that has to be on the list has to be I so, did not make the list. I, 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 <laughs> see, that's the same. That's why Aaron wanted you to do this segment. I used to do that to him, and he had this. I didn't do this. Okay, it's not my fault. Yes. No, I mean I love all those songs, and you know I love me some Mariah Carey, but that's not the greatest Christmas song of all time. Might be the greatest selling Christmas song of all time, but it's not the greatest Christmas song of all time. Yeah, this was just their not. Sell, it was just top one hundred Christmas songs of all time. Yeah, and who was responsible for that list? Billboard. Yeah. They suck too. Apparently now they're It'd be not. better if you did it. Yeah. I think I, I'm, I'm confident that that's true. Actually, yes. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. And since you did, I might actually just go through and, and give you my top 100 Christmas songs one day. Um, Miracle Made does a fantastic job if you're looking for a Christmas gift that's unique. How about the gift of a great night's sleep with Miracle Made's sheets inspired by NASA uh, with, that have temperature regulating qualities. This was one of our favorite clients we brought on this year. Sleep with these every single night. They're fantastic. They're not, they not only help with temperature regulation, but they're really luxurious and comfortable as well. In fact, I think we're going to buy another seat out of our own pocket. That's how much we love these. Um, they offer an entire line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding, such as sheets, pillowcases, and comforters that also prevent 99% of the bacteria out there and require three times less laundry. So you can save over 40%, and if you use our promo code DACE at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Can't beat it. All right? Can't beat it when you go to trymiracle.com uh, slash DACE and use the promo code DACE. TryMiracle.com slash DACE. Promo code DACE to claim your free your three free towels and save over 40% off. TryMiracle.com slash DACE. Third question. Okay, last question for you guys. So conservative comedy movies are on the rise. If you could write a conservative comedy movie, what would it be about? <sighs> I, I think I'd ruthlessly mock the spirit of the age. But here's my hesitation. I don't know that I could do, I maybe could do it maybe less profane, but I don't think I could do better than Idiocracy. I think it is one of the truly most brilliant films of this era that, and it, that does mock the spirit of the age as we knew it in 2006 when that movie came out. It does mock the spirit of the age. So it would be a variation of that updated for what we see now from the spirit of the age, uh, but less profane, but just as ruthless, just as absolutely ruthless. It'd be something like that. I'm a huge fan of the mockumentary style, like The Office, yeah. Parks yeah. and Rec mm -hmm. has started. Yeah. I would do, if, if this was specifically a conservative bent, I would do a mockumentary style, um, a TV show 
on a university campus called Admissions, and it's just the dynamics inside of the, or maybe administration, just a mockumentary style uh, TV show of the administration building at a university. So Parks and Recs meets the office meets the spirit of the age? Yep. That's good. I like that. That's a really good idea. Todd, what about you? Yeah, there's a, um, yeah, like a, a waiting for Guffman. Yeah kind of uh no way be- quirky or best in show or spinal tap uh version of cpac that needs to be done oh yeah i'm gonna go home and bite my pillow that's what i'm gonna do one of the great rants of all time waiting for guffman i, I just want to see all the people brought in under the banner of conservative i mean i was i was just lectured last weekend by a guy right. that, that said a gay a, a surrogacy is the true conservatism, and all you Christians arguing against it are the real progressives. With a straight face, this is their argument. So, just that over and over again. There's a laugh track there. We're a big tent, Todd. Yes. I'm reliably informed. Thank you, Princess. Thank you. Uh, by the way, if you're looking for a good movie, we're offering one right now here at The Blaze. It's the first time we've ever offered a theatrical-grade plat- film here on our platform. It's the true life story of our colleague, Phil Robertson, his amazing conversion and transformation uh, via uh, his relationship with Christ. It's really well done, uh, and it's, it's honest. And did I say it's well done? It is. Uh, It's called The Blind. If you've not watched it yet, you don't have to pay for it via Apple and Amazon. Give us the money instead. We don't hate you. All right, go to to blazetv.com slash the blind. That's blazetv.com slash the blind. All right, we're going to stick around and do overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck, right here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.